Hi, this is Jonna Johnson and Greg Farrow. We are Heavy Strategy, where the questions are sometimes more interesting than the answers. Today, we're going to talk about something where I think both the questions and answers are somewhat interesting. Is shadow IT always hmm. a bad thing? What we're referring to is the fact that we're seeing a shift away from the centralized purchasing of IT by the uh, fascist dictator overlords in the IT department to business units heading out to choose products that fit their needs, do what they want, find solutions that fit them better. And that is sort of a general assumption of shadow IT, that this idea that products are now being targeted. So for example, take DevOps. We've seen a whole range of products emerge that target the developer, but not the IT infrastructure team. DevOps go out with a credit card and do stuff on the public cloud, and they call that shadow IT. But I think also we need to look at shadow IT more widely when we see a business unit decide that they need a new tool and they go off and sign up for some SaaS product like Snowflake or you know one of these big data solutions and then suddenly you're expected to support it. As usual, Greg, there's kind of a lot to unpack here. So let me try to unpack some of it. The first question I would come back to is your contention that there is a move away from centralized IT procurement. I haven't actually seen any data that backs that up, which doesn't mean there isn't any. We mm -hmm. periodically go and benchmark the whole shadow IT versus centralized IT, and we literally haven't done it for a couple of years because our finger to the wind sense is there's nothing really happening here. There's no shift. Hmm. Are you seeing a shift? I think so. I'm seeing a number of people decide that they're just going to do their own thing. But I think it's more systemic, right? If you actually pull back further and stop thinking about IT as a center of the known universe, we're seeing the same thing happen with human resources. In days gone past, all hiring was done by HR and that didn't work out very well. And so then they brought the managers in and then the managers were part of the interview and, and selection. And now it's quite often a recruitment firm goes out and presents the candidates and HR only does the final stage. Well, that's a form of shadow HR, where the business unit is actually going out and selecting the staff on its own criteria. They are outsourcing it to some cloud HR or managed service, right, which is a recruitment company. And HR is only there to do a, a certain amount of compliance. In years gone by, all the accounting was done in the accounting team. The, you know, the, you would take a purchase order, you know, cap in hand to the purchasing officer and say, please, sir, this is the winning tender. Can we order it? And they go, Stand back, I'm taking over. Do you remember those types of people? With the ninja accountants, yes. So yes. let me circle back just to just to kind of tie a bow around this concept, which is your contention is that there's a general trend away from corporate centralized shared services towards more feet on the street, local autonomy across the board for accounting, for HR, and for IT. There is an angle here that it is devolved. Like the, the story here is that accounting can't understand what you're buying or that human resources doesn't understand the specific needs of all the business units in the organization. So maybe HR stays fully engaged for the core function, but maybe they don't get involved in IT hiring, right? So there's no hard and fast rules here. But if you look at in the old days when we had cars, you know, there was a long time where companies had managed fleets, they used to manage a fleet of cars and they would manage them themselves. They would have mechanic shops, on call and the cars would be bought and owned by the company and then that was outsourced and then it became a managed service and now they've gone to the full extreme where you just bring your car to work and they pay you money for it. They only pay you money for it in uh, in mm. other countries. In the United States, it's like, we'll pay you money for the usage of it. But yeah. just, to, just to, to keep going with the metaphor, I think it also applies to executives generally or management generally is that 
they are increasingly outsourcing their work to third parties. So consultants, we're seeing the consulting firms grow at a really significant rate. Like if you look at Gartner, for example, just to take one that I've been tracking, Gartner's revenues are up 25% year on year for the last three years because IT executives aren't doing it themselves. They're flipping it out to somebody else to do their thinking and their decision-making for them. If you look back, well, that's shadow executives or shadow management by the same token as shadow IT. Does that make, like, the? I think the metaphor is coherent. I do up to a point. I just want to establish your perspective on this so we can we can discuss it. Essentially, what you're saying is there's a general movement towards more localized or less centrally controlled, whatever it is, function. Mm. Um, and I just want to go on record saying I don't actually believe that's the case. I don't know that it's not. Mm. And I don't think it's relevant whether it's the case or not, which is why, you know, why the questions are more interesting than the answers, because there's always an ongoing healthy tension between the premise that says, well, if we standardize and centralize things, we can get consistency and consistency reduces overhead and reduces cost. And then what, you, what you've what raised, which is the opposite benefit, which is, hey, the people feet on the street know best what needs to be done. And mm. the degree to which this is abstracted from them, it creates you know drag. And they're yeah. really, both sides are actually true. So it really only depends where you happen to be as an organization in that curve, whether you are currently relatively distributed and you're pulling, moving towards centralization or currently centralized. And as you've been talking, Greg, moving out towards distribution. You know, the outsourcing trend has faltered overall. It's, it's, it's People have worked out what it doesn't do, which is just as much as what it does do. You don't get to give away the responsibility. You're still stuck with owning the you know, the outcome. You can't give an outcome away to an outsourcer. They don't do that. They just promise to do the work. They don't promise to generate more profits for you. So there's so Some much- of them do. I mean, they are yeah. moving, you know, the whole notion of, you know, advanced SLRs and XLRs and things like that. But yes, your point is correct. At mm. the end of the day, you are a profit center for them. They make money off you. You're trying to do your job. And those That's are two right. different, yeah. and there's, there, fundamentally different. I mean, things. outsourcing was badly done. It became such a, fa- a rabid fashion yeah. that it became badly done. Once the fashion's overdone, it tends to lose its value and stops being, you know, the thing. Often wonder if we do the shadow IT, if we follow this to its logical extension, you then end up with a situation where people who are doing IT purchasing, that is the people in the departments, are not skilled in buying IT. And they can make, you know, legitimately bad decisions, just make a decision that seems like a good idea at the time. They can also make decisions where they're being exploited by smart salespeople. So somebody who knows their product, knows their market, can outmaneuver and out outposition themselves against, like, in that sense, sales is an adversarial position. If the well-informed salesperson who knows more about what's going on than the buyer, then they can extract more profits than otherwise might be done with a seasoned, skilled manager overseeing the process. So there's a tension there. There is, but it sounds like you're now, I, I need to push back harder because you're now talking yourself into the into the point of view that um, shadow IT is bad because mm. you'll get uh, screwed by these um, savvy salespeople. And I think we all know that, but what I want to know is your stance, at least one of the reasons we decided to talk, talk about this is that mm. your stance is that shadow IT is not all bad and may in fact be a very good thing. And mm. aside from the sort of motherhood and apple pie that the people who use the technology are best fitted to decide what they want, which is questionable, but let's just take that for the sake of argument. What are some other reasons that shadow IT might be a good thing? I think for me, as an IT practitioner, the fact that I'm not making the decision, it makes it not my fault. So if some clown 
in the in the sales organization goes off and signs up for Salesforce. So the fact that Salesforce is an awful product and is so big and so complex and requires millions of dollars to maintain, that's not my fault. Does that make sense? You can just sit back and say, well, we'll do our best to help you. But it's very questionable in the modern era about the capability of managers to manage. I've always had a bit of a thing saying that modern management is generally less capable than it was in years gone by. Now, I say that from the perspective of in days gone by, managers were trained. They went to courses. They were taught how to handle people, you know, a bit like an MBA, but, you know, what an MBA program became, which was to teach them basic common sense and, and competency. And now people just get promoted into positions of management and expected to work it out. Greg, with all due respect, I think the biggest significant change that's happened is you've gotten older and more experienced and can see a whole lot more. So your perspective is much broader. That's what's changed. Managers were just as doofusy back then, but uh, you were too young to recognize it. And I think the other way I could talk myself out of this is that shadow IT, expecting IT to make smart decisions on part on business units that they don't understand. Now, it is very difficult for anybody to understand other pieces of the business. And, you know, the business has been demanding that IT speak business for a good 10 years now. And IT is, is certainly better at speaking business language and doing things for business readings. And, and I think aligning. that's absolutely true. Mike, I look at my clients and I'm like, 10 years ago, I was helping them struggle through basic PowerPoint. And now it's like, they can articulate stuff with uh, you know, the yeah. panache of the highest paid consultants. So in that sense, IT's done better at being to speak business, but is it possible for them to understand the business enough? Can they identify the needs? Uh, I, I'm going to push back on that one because I remember 20 years ago, my IT team was the best aware of the business. Like in any organization, you've always got the three blind men and the elephants. So sales can talk to you about sales, you know, customer service can talk to you about customers, blah, blah, blah. But in IT could sit there and go, listen, we actually understand what's going on here because we can see the sales figures because we see all the Excel spreadsheets and the databases and we can see the customer complaints skyrocketing or dropping and we can see everything and they can actually come back and teach us or teach business chapter and verse on the business, which I found was interesting because it goes counter to the stereotype of IT as being dumb, business dumb geeks. Mm. And actually they'd sit there and go, no, we see all the business processes now that flowing. The point is, is that that can happen. So everything here yeah. is the future is yeah. unevenly distributed. Your organization may be different and, and so on and so forth. So it is certainly was possible. Was that Bradbury? Who was it that said the future is unevenly William Gibson. Distributed? Yes, uh, correct. It, it's know, here. It's just unevenly the distributed. The future is here. It's just you can, unevenly distributed. You can go look up the quote now and go so, read some Gibson. So I think the challenge here is that there are IT organizations who are well-structured, well-put-together and have got good managers. And potentially, they're the sorts of people that you would know through your work because they're smart enough to engage with with analysts in a willing, under knowing, knowing what their shortcomings are and understanding what they're trying to achieve from the results. I would say that out there, there's a, there's a vast majority of people who are, let's say, not not turning to third parties or trusting a, a, a reseller or a friend to give them advice. I think that dysfunctional management is more of a norm and that good IT management is pretty rare. I think that's true. And I'm, you know, I'm listening to you. And since my general premise is there's always a creative tension between distribute everything and centralize everything, 
you know, just a side note here in the United States, we live that creative tension every single day because, you know, you have the same people tromping around going, oh my gosh, it's terrible that Washington DC wants to control what we read in books. And then they elect yahoos as the local county commissioner who, you know, don't know how to tie their shoes. And the flip side is, honestly, there's a lot of things that are controlled by Washington DC that shouldn't be and should never have been. And I'm using politics because it's the classical example. And so, you know, fascism is adhere blind adherence to the idea that centralized control is a good thing and unmitigated good yeah. and anarchy is the opposite and somewhere between fascism and anarchy is the sweet spot but where <laughs> yeah all that said as i'm listening to you i'm thinking it's a little more subtle and nuanced than what i had originally thought which is mm. kind of one-dimensional it's a one-dimensional yeah. spectrum and find the sweet spot the issue has to do with what central it is trying to do and my head As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking the biggest problem I see a lot is with the end users kind of saying, I need technology X. And Mm. it's like, no, stop. You may need technology X. Tell us what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. And we may find a technology Y that will actually help you. So don't dictate to us what technology. So now you're you're coming to something which is a a really common bugbear. You and I take time to understand the market to understand a range of possible solutions. But I think that is an exceptional thing. That is not something that most people do as part of their professional skill base is say, I maintain an awareness of all the possible solutions in the market that relate to my sphere of expertise. You know, you're right. Mm. And I'm, I, I was about to say, well, yes, but no, because I'm always going to defend my IT brethren and sustren. But I think, number one, it's true that most IT people, especially recently, i.e. the past 20 years, haven't had the time to do this sort of panoramic scan of the market. And in fact, one of the offerings that we have is our Emerging Technologies Insights, where we just basically yank everybody out of their day-to-day jobs you know, for an hour a week or an hour a month and say, here's what's coming down the horizon. Think about it. Okay, back to your regularly scheduled firefighting. The reason that we are successful doing this is precisely because people don't have the bandwidth, mental or temporal, to do it. But the other thing that I think you're also right on is that your average IT person is will come at this from the standpoint of, tell me the requirements and I will architect a solution. And the problem is their definition of the requirements is literally feature set. Tell me what it has to do. What I'm talking about is no, tell me what problem you're trying to solve and you can solve that problem a thousand different ways. I mean, just to use a stupid metaphor, if I need to get, go two miles down the road to, to go grocery shopping, mm. I can drive my tractor, I can drive the van, I can drive the car, I can walk, I can bicycle. <clears throat> what are the requirements? You know, Am I trying to optimize, optimize energy consumption? Am I trying to optimize yeah time and get my exercise in, you know, all these things. Yeah, and then, of course, when you're talking to somebody and you say, we can't buy that product because its power consumption is too high, and they right. just look at you and they don't understand or they don't want to understand. Well, and that that's kind of my what I was working up to drive to. The actually accurate, the good role of central IT that I see is essentially saying, we will help you. Well, let me put it this way. We have a contractor um, and their tagline is, you dream it, we build it. This is a housing contractor. And in a sense, that's actually the right tagline for IT. It's got to be, you dream it, we make it happen. Within the broader context of everything else that everyone else at this company is dreaming. So so now we get to an interesting situation where 
20 years ago, it was very common for companies to have the concept of a shared services unit. Yes. And technology was often set up as a, as a shared services. So that is, it would be built to provide a range of services that would then be shared amongst sometimes a number of companies or if it, if it was a franchise organization, this was very popular. Um, they might have, uh, the one that I'm thinking of was building societies, nonprofit banking communities. There might be a half a dozen non-profit brands you know each one an individual but they would have a shared services it because none of them were big enough to run an it infrastructure themselves but if they wanted to be a building society type infrastructure they needed to so they would have the shared services now that model has really faded away and partly because the cost of it has changed there's no reason you know the availability of expertise is much greater than it was 20 years ago not that it's a solved problem there's still plenty of shortages of, of expertise equally we're starting to see the rise of SaaS products which mean where's the where's the shared services here except for data management you know and how do you keep the data secure and compliance is there much need for shared services like there used to be there's not one answer here in shadow it right when i got into this right i guess as you're talking i'm i'm thinking as usual, on two parallel tracks, which is why this is always so much fun. <laughs> the whole notion of shared services in a SaaS environment is not obviated because essentially, you know, when cloud came along, whatever it was, 15 years ago, pick your starting point. Everybody said, wow, this is great. It empowers the users. The user will, you know, be able to, to consume exactly what he or she wishes and boom. It turns out that that's right up there with offering a bunch of different boxes that do stuff. Uh, the first box you buy, that's great. You learn everything about it. You're a very happy camper. Now you buy two boxes and your question is, how do I hook them together? How do I get data from box A to how, box B? How do I secure things? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And that's exactly the case when you exchange box or appliance to sound <laughs> fancy, yeah. appliance to service. Yeah. You know, oh, gee, well, now I'm using Amazon here, but I'm using this SaaS service. And how do I integrate these and help? And that's so I don't think... I don't think that the fact that everything is a service obviates the need for shared services, which focus on combining all those services and delivering them to users in a palatable fashion that's aligned with business requirements to use more consultant speak. All that said, yeah. the much more interesting take is shared services imply some component of commodity. It's like, oh yeah, I, I have shared electrical services and shared mm. plumbing services and shared water and shared whatever, mm -hmm. fire services, because these are the basic table stakes for what I need to, to function in society. But then if there's anything that's sort of more specific to me, I want to, you know, that's not shared, that's custom. I think there's also a creative tension here between what qualifies as commodity and what what needs to be custom and i think it needs to be involved in both but in two very different perspectives yeah shared services are great for the you know keep the lights on the model that i'm sort of advocating is this idea of no we are actually your in-house consultant that will take your your understanding of your problem and deliver uh, deliver a solution based on technology and if you can really do that let's yeah. Let's, you know, so, and some people can. Yeah. The next problem that will happen after that is, and we're already starting to run into this in some of my savvier clients, the solution is never technology by itself. So if yeah. you need technology plus cultural change or technology plus cultural change plus accounting change or technology yeah. plus hiring change, how, who, there's nobody whose job it is to say, yeah. Okay, we'll deliver that entire service with the new technology here and the new recruiting here and the new cult and the cultural shift here all as one nice bundled thing so we you can get your features. Yep. 
you're reminding me of one of my favorite stories, which was sitting across the table from a, an IT manager for a major bank. They were um, outsourcing their entire IT operation to one of the big outsourcers at the time. And somebody said to him, well, why are you doing it? And he said, because I can't change anything. And he said, because all of these people have been doing the same thing for so long, I can't say to them, I, you've got to give this up because the people who are, have the you know, the Unix or the HPUCs or whatever refuse to change. They say, this is the only way that it can be done. He said, so what I'm going to do is get the whole thing outsourced and it's going to go horrible and everything's going to break and then we're going to bring it all back. And that was his purpose, right? So sometimes driving change is the reason for it. And sometimes shadow IT can fulfill that goal. If you've got an IT team that is stretched, maybe it's physically understaffed, very common thing to happen. Maybe the IT team doesn't have the skills to help your business unit to do what it wants. Maybe you genuinely do. If you've got an IT team that's busy doing something else, right? Maybe the leadership team have decided, but your goals are to still make money or do more of something, produce more wing-wongs or whatever it might be. Maybe shadow IT is the only way out. So so just to shift it along, I think the mm-hmm. flip side here is, so what if they buy a bad thing? It's not like IT gets it right all the time either, right? It's not like we can stand on the high ground and say IT always makes the right decision. No, no. This brings me back one of my favorite adages because I'm really annoying this way and uh, like to come up with pithy, annoying adages that what comes before who, not only in the dictionary. Hmm. And the reason this actually matters is because as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, IT gets it wrong and business gets it wrong. But that's partly because we haven't spelled out the what when it comes to buying something or implementing something. Anyone who fully understands the context of the what, okay, what are the support requirements for this? Do we have the support requirements? Is it integrated into our existing capabilities, mm. technologies? Does it scale? You know, there's a there's a laundry list of things you need to look at before you purchase something. It doesn't actually matter whether the person who's looking at that is employed by central IT or, you know, the business unit. They're not going to know the answers either. When when you no. said IT gets it wrong, I thought, yeah, that's usually because they got one of the items on the checklist wrong. Because guess what? Yeah. IT is not omniscient. No. And ne- neither are is the line of business. So well, honestly, I mean, all you've got to do is look at Microsoft SQL Server as proof of that or Microsoft oh, Windows, right? Dear God, do not do not get me started on Microsoft. Seriously, man, that's you know, a whole different honestly, conversation. If, I mean, but, I would blame Microsoft Windows for most of the bad reputation of an IT team because they put these nasty laptops, nasty cheap unstable yeah. physical hardware, cheap, you know, laptops from whoever they can buy. So so coming back to this, you know, I just want to highlight this notion that the what really matters. Beyond the what, there is no who that can actually answer those questions. Mm. Nobody really knows the full support impact, even if IT says they do because it's their job to. Secretly, mm. everybody's going, I think I got it right. I would almost say that it kind of comes down to it doesn't matter. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you're doing quote unquote shadow IT or central IT. It doesn't matter whether you're serv- you have a shared services model or a no services model or a self services model. What does matter is that there is a common sense framework for procuring technology and whoever is fall everyone follows it and whoever follows it understands where they need help and can't answer all the questions on their own. Basically, the premise of the discussion was shadow IT is good and bad. It's not inherently bad. And, you know, we've seen plenty of shadow IT happen where developers just go and sign up for the cloud and start using it with a credit company credit card. And next thing you know, they're sitting on tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of assets. And a hole has been dug. As my dad always said, he said, a boat is a hole in the water that you throw money into. 
I think Cloud uh, yeah, is the same thing. Yeah, I have a few thing. of those, and mm. I think your dad was correct. Yeah. I, that, oh, my God. Cloud is so much the same thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I was thinking of you, actually, the other day when one of my clients was saying, you know, we've actually just tripled our operational cost by moving everything to cloud. And I was like, yeah, and Greg told you that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, although it would be interesting to have a discussion sometime as the collapse of the tech crowd, like we're seeing tech shares go down by 30 to 60 percent, especially the emerging companies like the new growth companies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen articles from A16Z saying for many of these emerging startups, growth-based startups, 60% of their operating cost is cloud. If they suddenly can't grow, do they turn around and start focusing on how much it's costing them? And does that actually have an impact on cloud which is actually a very interesting question. Probably yeah. not, because as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, people used to say data is the new oil. Nonsense. Mm. Cloud is the new oil. And like the old oil, it's actually controlled by by greedy monopolists who will <laughs> jack up prices at the least convenient but time. So, yeah, no. For me, the biggest consumption of cloud is from these startups who are actually not making a profit. Often they're making losses greater than their total revenues. It's not uncommon for these startups to have multi-billion dollar valuations on 250 million of gross revenue with a 400 million spend per quarter. Right. Well, if 60% of that is cloud, in other words, they're spending more money on cloud services than they actually take in in basic revenue, just at a baseline, then do they have to suddenly start looking at efficiencies in the cloud and spending less in the cloud? Is that trend significant enough to actually make a difference? Maybe that's a topic for another day. Let's wrap up on the shadow IT. Thanks for joining me today, Jonah. This has been Heavy Strategy. Thanks so much to you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends about us. Tell us where they are, what we're doing. We could use a few more listeners in the hope that we could keep this going. Your feedback would be welcomed. If you go over to packerpushes.net slash FU, you can tell us what you think about us. Just tell us what you think. It's anonymous if you want it to be. Uh, And as always, remember that at the Packet Pushes Network, there's many more other fine free technical podcasts there for your delectation. I'm going to just close up with your mention of the word cistern today. And so anybody who's still listening at this point, your word challenge is to go out and use the word brethren and cistern in your emails today. See you next time.